All right, let's open our Bibles. We'll be in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse... Well, we could begin in verse 36. There, there is so much, there is so much in this parable as I begin to study it and, and look at it, and I was completely blown away and dumbfounded. It was as if almost every scripture that, that I had ever read, I could kind of pull into it and apply to it. So I'm really going to have to streamline. I'm going to fly by stuff that maybe some guys would have spent more time on, but it's because it's so, it's so chock full of stuff. Um, and I've just got a ton of little notes here in my Bible, so I'm going to try to do my best to walk us through this. There are, some, I think, some important points, and I think before it's over... You're going to, like me, you're going to see something um, a little bit differently than maybe the first time you read it or the first, I don't know how many times I read it, I, I didn't see it. And, uh, and it really helped me understand what Christ was saying and, and, the, and the crux of what he was saying, the point of the parable. So let's get started. But just to let you know, we've got to break it up into two parts because Luke 7, uh, verses 40 through 50 actually have to do with the parable at hand. But in order to understand the parable, we have to go back to verse 36. Okay, right kind of in the middle of, of a lot of uh, happenings is this Pharisee who invites Christ to dine with him. Uh, let me read you, starting in verse 36, and we'll read through 39. Now, one of the Pharisees was, requ- was re- requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house, he being Jesus, and reclined at the table, And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Okay, so here's the setup, guys. All right, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, as usual, we have to put ourselves into the context of the situation to really get the emphasis of what is happening. Okay, in, in, in this time, a lot of times, um, Dinners would be had with uh, with guest rabbis, if you will, like a guest preacher after church on Sunday. You know, you have them over for lunch or dinner. Kind of a it, it was really a, a a sign of honor, almost for the person who invited them or the person who had them to lunch. And the Jews, when they ate in this way, a lot of times it was in an open court. Houses of well-to-do people were in built into kind of a square, so you had this open area. If the weather was nice, they would go out there and eat, and anyone from the community could come and listen to these words of wisdom that were falling from the lips of these, you know, a kind of a chosen inner select spiritual guys around the table. But anyone could come and stand on the sides and go in and out as they please. They didn't, they weren't necessarily invited. So here we have exactly this kind of situation. And this guy, as we'll learn later, his name is Simon. Jesus reveals his name to us in verse 40. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to his house. And there's a woman who finds out about it. She wasn't welcome because women weren't invited to these kinds of dinners back then. 
Okay, and second of all, she was a sinner. And as the word implies um, in the New Testament, anytime you read that a person was a sinner or the sinners were there, it was actually a system of classification. It wasn't like all that we all know that we're all sinners. Everyone knows they're all sinners. But in this time, it was actually a classification. If you were a sinner, you were in some kind of a lifestyle of sin. You were habitually involved in something that was sinful or Loathsome, let's say, in the eyes of God. And so most any New Testament scholar um, agrees that this woman was likely a prostitute. And so she was classified as a sinner. That was uh, her class in society. So she was not welcome there, but she found her way anyway. It says that she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she wet his feet with her tears. So I'm just setting this up now, okay? You guys got it. I want you, I want you at this at this dinner. We're not invited, but we're allowed to go, if that makes sense to you. Okay, so let's go. Here you have maybe maybe a hundred people standing around, and you've got a select group of men around this low table. They didn't sit back then. They actually reclined, and how they reclined was there was a pillow or pillows around the table, and on their left arm they would lean, so their right arm was free to eat and drink. And so they would recline. Their feet would actually be going away from the table. So that's how you get this woman coming up to Jesus behind him, but still able to wet his um, feet with her tears. Does that make sense? Okay. But but let's go a little bit deeper into the psychology of what's happening here. Here this woman is who's classified as a sinner. Okay. She's not welcome there. Nobody wants her there. Okay. And she comes anyway. And she makes about as big a scene as you can make. It's not as if there's all kinds of commotion going on and she kind of by herself over there by Jesus' feet and doing her thing. You know, and then someone, Simon says, oh, okay, we got this woman over here and we've got a problem. Let me tell you what, what's happening. They're having a dialogue, okay? So everyone else is quiet. People aren't chirping, you know, like uh, we're at a nightclub here and there's all kinds of noise. People are, are listening carefully to what Jesus is saying. Okay, so it's quiet. It's not, it's not a whole bunch of noise going on. It's very quiet. And here this woman comes, not invited, a prostitute. Everyone knows it. Um, apparently, Jesus would not have known it because of what Simon says in verse 39. He would not have known it because he wasn't from that area. Okay, but here this woman comes, and it's, it's a quiet dialogue. Jesus is talking. Maybe one or two others are questioning him. And here this woman comes, and she begins to weep and sob. Okay, now you can imagine everything is going silent now. Everyone stopped talking. It's quiet. And all you hear are these sobs from this woman. And it had to have been the kind of, you know, the losing the breath kind of weeping. If, if a woman's tears are going to going to wet Christ's feet so that she can wipe them with her hair, it has to be some serious tears. We're not talking just kind of some tears that fell and she's what it says she continued to do this. This was a this was a process that was going on. So now we have this incredibly awkward situation where everyone's quiet except for the weeping and the sobbing of this woman. Okay? And she's wiping his feet with her hair. This is this would be incredibly scandalous. In this time no Jewish woman let her hair down or unbound her hair in public, especially if, if, it was a mar- if, if it was a woman of marrying age. She would not have done that. It would have been uh, completely, um, what's the word, uh, lacking decorum, if you will. It was totally immodest. That's the word I was looking for. It would be completely scandalous and immodest, but this woman doesn't care. So she's got her hair down and using it basically as a dish rag to wipe his feet. Now in First Corinthians or yeah, First Corinthians chapter I think it's eleven, 
around verse 15, Paul says that the that a woman's hair is actually her glory. And so here you have this woman who has no kind of um, status in society except that she's a prostitute and she's looked down upon by everyone. And she's weeping. She's now made herself even more the center of attention to a place where she didn't belong. And she takes down her hair, which is supposed to be her glory, and in an act of immodesty begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Imagine a woman's glory. She uses it as nothing more than a common dish rag to wipe the feet of Jesus. So you have dead silence. Are you with me? Are you, you put yourself in this situation. We're a little bit awkward. I mean, to say we're a little bit, that's, that's an understatement. It is a completely awkward situation. And then Simon pipes up in his mind. He doesn't say a thing, but he pipes up. And this is the pivotal movement of what happens. Okay, We, we need to pay, pay close attention to verse 39. Let's read it again. It says, Now when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And here's what we're going to see, okay? Simon is the blind one. He's telling, he's, he's basically making an indictment against Christ that he can't see as a prophet. He can't even see what kind of woman is touching him. If he could see it, he would be appalled and he would tell her to leave, basically, is, is what's going on here. But he's blind to three things. And, and, and the parable that we're going to read next is going to reveal what he's blind to. I'm going to give them to you right now. He's blind to himself. He's blind to Jesus. And he's blind to this woman. And you can see it in that order. He saw this. He saw this. And he said to himself. Okay, so he's having a conversation with himself because he doesn't even know himself. And then he says about Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he... Jesus would know who this is. And then he goes to the woman. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. So he's blind. He's completely blind. He's blind as a bat with no kind of sonar either. This guy, he's got no way of seeing. Okay? So let's move on. Verse 40. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, Say it, teacher. So... I want you to remember what Simon said about Jesus. He said, basically, if he were a prophet, he'd be able to tell who and what sort of woman this was. Okay, so remember that. Simon, I have something to tell to say to you. And Simon replies, say it, teacher. And here's your parable. (coughs) Excuse me. A money lender. Excuse me. (coughs) All right. We're still on the edge of our seats here. All right, you're still there in the awkward silence of this woman's weeping because Jesus is going to speak now. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? There's your parable. It's most likely the, the, the shortest parable in the, in, the, in the Gospels. It's just a verse and a half. Simon answers and says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. So let me tell you what's going what's to happen here. Okay, So you can kind of follow with me. Verses 40 through 43 is the setup. Verses 44 through 48 is the boom. Christ lowers the boom. And then including verse 48 through 50 is vindication. Okay? So we've got the setup, we've got the boom, 
and we have a vindication. It's going to get good, all right? Simon answered and says, I suppose, he grudgingly says, I suppose the one who had the greater debt forgiven is going to love the money lender more. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. So here's what he does. Jesus turns to the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? So if you go back to verse 39, you remember that this is really a passage about seeing who is seeing who. Who's seeing who in the truth and the light of the gospel. So Jesus turns it around and says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Let me tell you what's happening here. He's, he's unpacking this parable for Simon. And I kind, of, I kind of waited here, but if you go back and remember verses 36 to 39, Christ is pointing out something that Simon didn't do. So what Simon does is... It, in, in, in this time, there are three things that were always done when a, when a guest came to dinner at your house. You, you always did three things. If you want to know what they are, they're right here. Okay, let's look at them again. If you had a guest for dinner, when they came, you would put your hand on their shoulder and kiss them, either on the cheek or on the forehead. Okay, he says you didn't do that. Then in verse 45, or verse 45 says you gave me no, let's go back, verse 44, you gave me no water for my feet. So in this time, you had just a sole that was strapped to your foot with some sandals. And, and a common courtesy would be to pour cool water on the feet of your guest. And then you would put your hand on their shoulder, kiss their head. And then thirdly, you would put some kind of, usually it was some kind of scented oil on their forehead. And these were the three things that were always done. It was never neglected. Just for common courtesy, this was what was done. But Simon, he didn't do any of it, which actually gives, gives us the greatest indication of why he invited Jesus in the first place. Why, why do you invite someone to your house and then basically diss them in front of everybody? Jesus doesn't bring it up. He doesn't need this man's approval. Okay? But it comes out later that basically Simon just slaps him in the face. says, okay, I want you over for dinner, but I'm going to treat you, I'm going to treat you like a scrub, is what happens. So Christ points this out. He says, you don't even do the common stuff. What's, what would be commonly accepted, the courtesy of me, you don't even give me that. But he, he transposes that over what this woman does to him. Now, I want to go back. I want to go back now to the parable. OK, and here's where it was really difficult for me to figure out what was going on. OK, because let's just read it as maybe I, maybe you guys read it as I read it when you first read it. And maybe since then is I'm trying to figure out who the two people are, who the who the uh, the debtors are. OK, but here's my problem. If Christ is saying to Simon that the woman is the woman with the greater debt and you're the one with little debt, I've got a huge problem with that. Because basically, Christ is defending the actions of this woman to Simon. As if he needs to stick up for her. Now, he does stick up for her, but what I'm saying is, it's almost like, hey, you know, give her a break. You know, she, she was forgiven so much more than you. This is why she's showing so much love to me. You know, but that's that is so contrary to every other scripture that I read in the New Testament. He's constantly telling the self-righteous people that they're really nothing more than white sepulchres, sepulchres said that wrongly. They're white tombs. They're nothing but just 
coffins. That's all they are. They're dead inside. There's nothing more. These are these these are the uh, and he calls he calls them um, sons of Satan. Sons of perdition. These are these are his remarks to people who are self-righteous. So I can't see him defending this woman to Simon saying, listen, you are forgiven little sin. That's okay if you don't show a lot of love. But this woman here, come on, let's give her a break. This is not what's happening here. So I, I really I really had to look a little bit harder. And, and what I found is you had to go back to verse 39 to figure out what he's doing. Simon says this guy is no prophet. Okay, so Jesus is first of all going to say, you're wrong about that. You're wrong about me. And you're wrong about yourself and you're wrong about this woman. So what, what is happening here? You have a money lender and two debtors. Here's what Christ does when he explains what Simon did versus what he did. Okay, now... Let me see if I can do I want to be clear. It gets a, it's not money in here, you know, up here. It's, it's all clear up here. But sometimes when it comes out here, it gets a little convoluted. So uh, let's see if I can do this. Um, Simon is not even in the parable. There, I just let the cat out of the bag. So, we can, so you can kind of follow me a little bit better. Simon is not the one who is forgiven. He's not even in the parable. And you know how I know? Because of how Jesus describes his actions when he came to his house. And here's what he says. You know, you know, you didn't. She did. She did. She did. So what you have here is Simon who's shown what? No love. Nothing. In fact, he doesn't even show him a common courtesy. So Simon, frankly, is left completely out of the parable. What he's doing is, is basically explaining the, the actions of this woman because she had been forgiven so much. This is the natural response of someone who recognizes the debt they have been forgiven. So Simon is not the, the one who's been forgiven less. He has not even been forgiven. Does that make sense to you? You guys with me so far? So this is, this is the dichotomy. I entered your house. This was your house. This is your responsibility to show me a little bit of love. Okay? But you gave me no. Verse 45. You gave me no. Verse 46. You did not anoint. And then you have this woman. And I want to I tell you how he draws this out. What this woman does. Versus someone who's forgiven little. And versus someone who's forgiven much. Look at here. The, the, the minimum is to give cool water for my feet. But what does she do? She uses her own tears to cool and to clean his feet. And then she wipes them with her own hair. Do you see? Here's the bare minimum of just, let's pour some cool water on, get the dust off there. Then you have this woman who goes completely beyond this type of common courtesy. And she does it with her own tears. Okay? So there's the first one. You gave me no kiss, but... And, and again, the kiss would be on the, on the cheek likely or the forehead. But since the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. How many of you have ever kissed someone's feet? Likely only one or two people, right? I'm guessing. Unless you've got some kind of weird thing going on. All right? Okay. So this, this is not a normal, this is not a normal, um, Reaction or a way to act, or it is not normal behavior even in these times. People did not go around kissing people's feet, okay, even as a sign of affection. Okay, so the most extreme sign of humiliation and affection, this woman shows Christ. But Simon doesn't even kiss him on the cheek. But this woman, 
She doesn't stop. She does it continually. This, this awkward not stopping. Not, I mean, I can't imagine the kind of people probably looking like this, you know, out of the corner of their eyes because they really don't want to look, but it's so weird that they're like, that's weird. That's, yeah. Isn't, isn't that something that he's drawing these, these comparisons? Last one was, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Again with the feet. Again with this submission of her heart. This adoration. This lavish love and affection to pour expensive perfume on his feet. With the common least thing to do was to pour a little scented oil or, or a little dab of scented oil on the person's forehead. There's a great dichotomy between just the oil is cheap, it's common, they used it for everything, but this perfume would have been very expensive. It was an alabaster jar and it would have been very expensive, very costly. Okay, so are, are we getting the dichotomy? And can you see why Simon is not the less forgiven? That's not the best way to put it. But he's not the one who was forgiven little. He's not even in the parable because he doesn't even measure up to what the common one, the, the common courtesy would have been. So what Christ is doing is just simply painting the picture of this love, the love of this woman and that she recognized the debt she had been forgiven. So basically what Christ does there is he lowers the boom right there. Right on. And so if, if Christ was insulted or, or disgraced as a result of Simon's action, now Simon is disgraced in, in the company of all these people. Because I can imagine someone... Someone doing what he did almost as a way to, to feel like he was the one in power. He was in control. As Jesus came in, he kind of said, you're not even important enough to do this stuff to. So you just take your seat and we'll get started. I have my celebrity. I have my status. I get the credit for having this kind of action over here. But I can see him doing it in a haughty way, if you will, a conceited way, not doing this thing. And so it would be used kind of as a, as a tool of leverage, like to put Jesus in his place. This is, what, this is what I think of you, now take your place. But Jesus, he flips it on a dime, doesn't he? And he says, Listen, I, know you, I know what you did. I know what you did. And so now the shame is not any longer on Christ. The shame has been put on this man, Simon the Pharisee. So verse 47 is also a, a pretty important verse. He says to Simon, For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little... Loves little. Let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying that we are forgiven because we love Christ. That would go against uh, the major doctrines uh, that we believe. Uh, We are not forgiven because we love. In fact, we love because he first loved us, the Bible says. And if you read the parable, the parable explains the rest of the the pericope, the rest of the passage, that that she loved because she was forgiven. So these... Sometimes in, in, in the Greek, in the original language, these fours, in verse 47, for she loved much, is not a four, it's, um, it's, it's really like a, uh, she, she, it was evidence, what she did was evidence, basically, that she had been forgiven. So she wasn't, her love was not the cause of her forgiveness, it was the effect of her forgiveness. Her love for Christ was the fruit of her forgiveness it was not the root of her forgiveness. Are, are you with me? So she wasn't forgiven because she loved. She loved because she was forgiven. Verse 48 is really where the rubber meets the road for the whole passage. For both 
the passage that we read before and the parable of the two debtors. This is really what Christ is getting at. And it's a little subtle. He says he says to her. So he's done with he's done with Simon for right now. He's done with him. But this is kind of his last hurrah, if you will. This is Simon's last disgrace, because what Christ just did was he proved he was at least to Simon. He was a prophet. Anytime you can read someone's mind, um, <laughs> you're a prophet. OK, in the Bible, you're a prophet. If you could read someone's mind, if you know someone's heart, if you know someone's past, you're a prophet. So basically, he just slapped Simon upside his head with what he said about this woman. And then he does one more thing in verse 48. He says to her, your sins have been forgiven. Let's see. Uh, you don't have to turn there. Let me read to you. Though. There are several, I think in every gospel, there is something equating to what I'm going to read to you in Mark 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 7. What Jesus just says here is one of the most gigantic statements you can make in that kind of company and in the Jewish culture. And here's why. Mark will kind of give us a, uh, some insight. I'm going to read chapter 2, verses uh, 5, 6, and 7, okay? And this is uh, Jesus' healing of a paralytic, paralytic man. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, your, son, your sins, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone. So do you see what Jesus does for everyone's benefit, but specifically for Simon's, when he says to her, your sins have been forgiven. You know what he's doing there? He's saying, I'm not just a prophet, Simon. I'm God. For no one can forgive sins but God alone. And I have been given that authority. So this is... Let's go back now, one more time to verse 39. We see that Simon has been blind to himself, he's been blind to Jesus, he's been blind to the woman. And it boils down to, this is what precipitates Christ's parable. If this man were a prophet, he would know. This is the impetus, this is the precipitating event for what happens After that, the parable and all that explanation is a result of what this man thought in his heart about Christ. If this man were a prophet, he would know. All of what follows is a response to that. Not necessarily a response and this attempt to vindicate this woman, although he does that. But the whole purpose was to say, Simon, you're wrong about me. That's what this whole thing is about. And he gets to it when he says, your sins have been Forgiven. And what's the response of those reclining at the table? It's the same response we get from every other Pharisee and religious leader throughout the New Testament. It's the same thing in their hearts. Those who recline at the table with them begin to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? So it's a rhetorical question. It's not as if they're actually wondering if this man is God. They don't believe he's God. But only God can forgive sins. So it's a rhetorical, it's really a rhetorical kind of thing that's going on there. They're appalled that someone would say that. And what's he say to the woman? Lastly, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In the, in the original language, it's go into peace. This woman has come in, a, in enmity towards God. She was a, 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 what the Bible calls a child of God's wrath. 
under his wrath, but now she goes into peace, from death into life. In fact, the rabbis uh, at funerals would say, go in peace. But for um, someone who is made well, they would say, go into peace. A difference between the dead and the living. Go into peace. He says, you are now alive. She's been made alive. So, Simon, I don't know, frankly, what this guy what this guy must have been thinking at this point. From just this tiny little thought. And you know when you've been caught, you know when someone says something or does something, and maybe you, you're caught so off guard that you make a face or you, you do something, and then that person reads it, and then you're kind of like, oh, I didn't know I showed it, but the person says, was something wrong? It's kind of, that's kind of how I see. That's kind of how I see Simon, and I'm sure you do it, you've done it with your spouses. If you're married, you, you know, uh, is something the matter? Is something wrong with you? And so something revealed it. Well, Christ, he reads right into his heart, and so Simon probably was never the same after he said, "I've got something to say to you." After he thought that Jesus was not a prophet. So what does this mean for us? I, I, there are so many things in this thing. I let, like I said, I left out a lot of stuff, um, but I think this is the important stuff. I want you to know that Simon was not the one who was forgiven 50. He was not even in the parable. That's important to note because, um, because then what you have is Christ just making a defense for this woman in front of Simon. And, and we can't have that according to the rest of Scripture. That's not, that's not God's job uh, to defend uh, uh, people, sinners, to the self-righteous. It's the exact opposite. So I want you to know that next time you read this, Simon's left out of the picture. He is not forgiven. He has not been forgiven. If he were, he would have shown some kind of repentance. And so what is the parable? What does it mean for us? What does it say to us? I mean, um, I, I struggled also with this forgiven little, forgiven, or forgiven little, love little. It, it, I mean, who of us would say, yeah, I've, I've just been forgiven a little bit. So I'm just going to love Jesus a little bit. You know, maybe maybe when I first I don't know maybe when I first got saved I didn't I, not maybe I, I didn't really understand um, the gravity of the situation of which I was rescued from. Are you with me? So there was affection for God. There was certainly um, a respect for what He did, but there was no love. There was no deep affection. You wouldn't find me at the feet of Christ, um, you know, weeping, wiping uh, His feet with my hair. You wouldn't see me do that. I, that would have been uh, far too immodest for me to do. But it's because I didn't understand uh, the debt that I owed. So I think, I think maybe the greatest point of the parable for us today is we need to understand, we have to understand, and I've said it before, the debt that was paid for us. You realize that in the parable that both debtors were unable to pay, even the one that owed 50 denarii was unable to pay. It says when they were unable to pay, the moneylender graciously forgave them. And we know who the moneylender is. It's Christ. So I think there could be no better practice in our, in our lives, and I, and I practice this quite a bit, um, to, to reflect on our sin, on our past sin. And I don't mean to drudge up things uh, that you shouldn't be thinking about. But what I mean is the debt that has been paid, we need to recognize our sins against an eternal God were, um, well, we deserved, what we deserved was death. 
Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? That the sin was, was, was serious enough against God that any sin that we committed, any lie that we ever told, that sin was serious, serious enough that what we deserved, not what we have, but what we deserved was an eternity in hell separated from God. So this idea that someone might love Jesus a little bit, that's hard for me to swallow too. I don't think that's really what Jesus is getting at. I think, I think he's really just trying to paint a picture of this woman's love. But if, if he got down to the point, it would be that we all owe a debt that we cannot pay. And if you, if you have no real affection, no real love for what Christ has done for you, then one, either you're not forgiven. Okay, that's one distinct possibility. If you have no affection for Jesus and what he did, no real love, then one, one possible explanation is that you're not forgiven. You're not saved. You're not one of the debtors in the parable. That is one explanation. I think for many people, though, for many people who have accepted and received the payment, the problem is they don't, they don't fully understand the measure of which Christ loved us and the depth of his debt, the payment that he made that we deserve. We just don't fully understand and fully grasp. So I'm urging you this morning that if you investigate and look into your own heart over your affection for our God, for Jesus, your love for him, if it's waning, if it's not to the point where you would indeed be immodest or scandalous before him, then you need to spend more time thinking about what you have been forgiven, what you have been saved from. And so, this is the message to Simon. This is the message to us. What have we been forgiven? It deserved eternal punishment, but we have been forgiven that debt. Let's pray. Perhaps even while I spoke, you, you had... Um, Maybe some thoughts of whether you were in the parable. And to be sure, you want to be in the parable. You don't want to be Simon. You don't want to be left out of the parable. You want to be a debtor that has been forgiven his or her debt. You want to be in this parable. Don't be a Simon. If you have not been forgiven, if you have no love, no affection, no real desire to see Christ magnified, and to let him know how much you love him, how grateful you are like this woman. And you can do that this morning, even in the quietness of your heart. And you can look to Jesus and say, I recognize you as the one who can forgive sins, as only God can do. Not only can you forgive sins, you actually paid the price that was necessary for my sins to be paid. So in the quietness of your heart, you can do that now, accepting that forgiveness, accepting that payment for your debt that you cannot owe. And be sure that you are unable to pay it, no matter how much good you do. You cannot repay the debt that is owed to God. Do that now, I urge you. If you are a believer and your love is nowhere near this woman's love, if maybe you're not even measuring up to the bare minimum, it's time to rethink what God did for you, the sins that He has forgiven you. It's time to think about that. It's time to reinvestigate what was really done about 2,000 years ago. And in doing so, Christ will be glorified. He will be magnified as 
the forgiver of sins, the creator of a new heart. 